listening to the weekly podcast presented by the Lighthouse Midlothian. For more information, please visit us at www.dfwlighthouse.org. Thank you and God bless. Last week we talked a little bit about uh, revival, and uh, revival is when God moves in such a way that those who don't know him are drawn in, and it's a supernatural move. We are to live our lives, though, as if what we have we cannot contain ourselves, and so we take it out. Okay, and that's called outreach. We have four pillars out front, four brand new pillars, if you haven't noticed. There's stone. If you, if you drove up and thought, something's different. Okay, that's what it was. And I named each one of the pillars. Okay, I started the new year with a series called We Do, What We Do. And it's an acrostic. I learned that from Celebrate Recovery. Our first one if you'll remember back to the beginning of the year. Anybody? Worship. Worship. We've heard about worship this morning. We've hopefully experienced worship. Yeah? And worship is not music. Worship is not something we do. Worship is a heart reaction to who God is. Worship acknowledges, number one, that he is God. Worship, number two, acknowledges that he made us in everything, and he is worthy of anything we could give. As Diana said, if he didn't do one thing that you thought you could praise him for, he would still be worthy. So worship merely aligns us into his kingdom, and that's where he wants us. And there's so much more. The whole Bible is filled with it. If you see a scene in heaven in the book of Revelation, what do you see? You see worship, every nation, tongue, tribe. So we're all about worship around here, folks. Okay? And and worship has different styles, okay? If you don't necessarily like the style that we have, find your own. It's out there. You can find country praise. You can find Celtic music if you love that. You can find... Salsa music, those of you like that, okay? Um, But do that in your own private time, okay? Uh, No, I think there's something special. I was listening to a Celtic worship leader, and she said there's just something awesome when when we take our national identity and we lift it up to God. I think God, God is pleased by that. And I love hearing the diversity. I love hearing the expressions of a people before the throne of God. That's just, that's pure worship right there. And then we have to come to a place where we can appreciate each other's expressions. That's hard, because that can be generational, right? Okay, I'm not gonna go any further with that. Okay, worship is the first pillar. Second is encouragement, encouragement. Worship is aligning ourselves vertically with God. Encouragement is why we come together, why you're tuned in today if you're tuned in. 
That's our vertical relationship, and that's extremely important also because God did not create us in a vacuum. He said it is not good for man to be alone. So he created a partner for Adam, Eve. Or maybe he created Eve, and Adam was her partner, okay? She was the final crowning glory of his creation. Amen? Okay, so he created them together to be a unit, and then to have a family, and then for family to have extended family, and for extended family to have a tribe, and then for that tribe to form a nation. Ooh. And one great thing about our nation is we're all families and tribes that have been brought back to one. That's God's heart to bring us all back into him, one nation under God. All right, and God calls us a holy nation, a holy nation. Okay, so we're here to encourage each other. We're here to fellowship. That means share in, in the word of God, share in the uh, experiences that we have. That's why we have connect groups, because I can connect a little bit here. I can wave. I can say hi. But we all need people in our lives that we are truly connected with, that we can share our hearts without judgment, without fear, and where there's mutual respect and love, because we get beat up through life. We've all got scars we could show. Some of them are visible, some of them are not quite visible. But we're here to encourage each other. When you're going something through something, maybe I can encourage you, and vice versa. So that's why it's, it's not two are better than one, it says. All right, encouragement. And then discipleship, that's bringing up our family. Okay, and it happens in the, in the natural with our kids. In a perfect world, they're learning about God, little Silas. Okay, I'm going to prophesy over this child. It's not too hard. He's got a mom and a dad that love the Lord and are firmly committed and passionate about bringing God's kingdom here to earth. Yes, it's true, Silas. And as part of that kingdom, they want their child to grow up knowing this. And so they're going to raise him knowing the word of God and with the best wisdom that they have. And they're going to raise him here with us. And we'll get to share good stuff with him. We'll get to correct him when he's, not, when he's out of line. But with the deepest kind of love and respect for his parents. Okay? So... As he gets older physically, he's also going to grow and be discipled spiritually. I know you're so excited about that. And that's a good plan. Now, not all of us are blessed to be born into such a wonderful family. Some of us found the Lord later in life, like when we're adults or teenagers. Or, and then we need others to bring us up spiritually and to encourage us and to to guide us, and that's what discipleship is all about. It's a family process that takes place in this spiritual family. And so therefore, we need to attach our, our, 
attach ourselves to each other, all right? And then finally, our fourth pillar is outreach. It's taking the good news out. It's obeying the word of the Lord. We're going to talk about that. How do we reach out? How do we do it? Now, there have been all kinds of things that have gone on, some anointed by God, some not so much. All right? Uh, First of all, though, this is my really quick three-point summary of how we reach out. Number one, we embrace all God has said about us. We have to embrace all God has said about us, who we are, and what we are. For you to reach out, you've got to have something to share, right? You have to have an experience. You can't give away something you don't have. So you need to be whole. Now, God will use anybody. I can testify to that. Yeah, he uses us in spite of ourselves many times. But part of the discipleship process is to learn who we are in God and what we are. Ephesians 2.10 says, we are his masterpiece. Poema in Greek. It means a poem, a work of art. It's something that was crafted. It's something that didn't happen by accident. It's a work of art. Now, in order to go to sleep at night, my wife and I sometimes watch a program called The Antiques Roadshow because it's guaranteed to put us to sleep. And what you have is people who bring in what they figure is a masterpiece, and they take it to the experts to find out if it's the real deal or not. And it could be an old painting they found or a a clock their granddaddy's watch, and they want to know if it's the real deal. And so sometimes it's like, hmm. And sometimes, like, that artist has gained in popularity. There's a few condition issues. But in its current state, your painting is worth between eighty dollars and $100,000. And we're going, sell it, sell it. <laughs> How could you stand to have that in your house? You know, or for insurance purposes, you'd want to get a policy for $150,000. Oh my word, I couldn't sleep at night. <laughs> but just think about it. That old painting, it's some pigment on some cloth or a board. What makes it special. An artist sat down and had a vision, translated that vision into something tangible that everyone could see. And whether it's hung in a place of prominence, whether it's at the Louvre or the Guggenheim or Arlen and Maggie's house, okay, it's still special. And you and I are God's idea the highest and greatest accomplishment of all his creation. Now, right there, just knowing that, knowing nothing else, that should make you feel like you want to do great things. You could reach out with just that knowledge that there is a God 
who designed each one of us. Embrace all that God says about us. Number two, we need to embrace God's heart for the world. Don't try to reach out if you don't care. You better pray for a passion and a love because people will detect real quick what your motivation is. I'm filling my quota. Got to get 10 people saved by the end of the year. Well, that's good. It's great. I'm not, I, I think God, God would be pleased, but do yourself a favor. Okay? Like Folu. Let's take Folu, for example. He's going off to law school soon. Okay, he's, he's one of our most eligible bachelors. So we're going to play the, the bachelor game show. Now, his parents would prefer he finish school. They would like that, right? Finish school, get a job. Okay. Now, hopefully, he'll meet just the right perfect one. Maybe he already has. He's very secretive. He, he could have something going on. We wouldn't even know it. All right. What I love picking about him is you can't tell if he's blushing. All right. So he's a good friend, and that's how I, why I can talk this way about him. All right. Are we still good? He's like, you're so close. I'm going somewhere here. Folu will hopefully meet Miss Wright, and she'll become Mrs. Folu, I-O-O, lasagna, poor dear. She'll have to write all that. But we want that to be out of a passion in his heart, right? Yes. Not just, well, I got to get, Dad says I better find a wife. You know, here's the ten finalists. Let me just, okay, eeny, meeny, miny, moe. No, we want him to be in love and, and make the right choice. And, and whoever Miss Wright is, I'm not prophesying, she's going to want to feel loved, right? Well, it's that way. God so loved the world. You were not just part of his quota to get so many people saved before Jesus comes back, okay? He is passionately in love with you, and we need to have that kind of love when we represent him. God so loved the world that he gave Jesus. He gave his only special, unique prize of a son. That's what that means. It's like when Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice... That's the same word. His, his, he believed for Isaac for years. He was the son of his old age, 99 years old, that poor kid. His parents were old. But this was the best thing that ever happened to Abraham because it just wasn't a son. It was a legacy. It was an heir. It meant so much. And do you think he loved Isaac? Yeah. Did God love Jesus? Yeah, he loved us, though, so much he shared Jesus with us. Isn't that exciting? Woo! 
Well, we need to ask for that kind of passion, guys. All right, well, I guess I should be doing something, so I guess I'll go to behind the walls because they teach you how to witness. Guys, that's all good. I'm not talking against any of that. I'm just saying, what's your motivation? The same kind of passion that hopefully one day Folu will, ready or not, here I come. So we need to embrace God's heart for the world. And guys, we need to pray for that if we don't have it. We need to seek God and say, God, give me your heart. But be careful and be ready because his heart breaks for the world. If you ever have a child that went astray, if you ever have someone that you love that you lost, then you might have a tiny clue about what God's heart feels. And he feels that way about the whole world. Oh, my goodness. So that's our motivation. And finally, number three, we embrace the power of the Holy Spirit, because we can't do this on our own. Who are we trying to kid? We need the Holy Spirit's power. Acts 1.8 says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. And he's going to make it happen. I don't have to make it happen, because he's going to make it happen. I just have to let him make it happen. Just let go. Let him do it. Now, that's really hard, because we've all got a lot of really great ideas. But I want them not to be great ideas. I need them to be the spirits, mind and heart when I step out. One reason the Irish missionaries were able to go from Ireland to Scotland and bring the gospel to Scotland, the the tribes of Scotland were so intimidating that Rome in all its glory and might and military strength got up to the border, faced the tribes and said, we're done here. And they built a wall to contain them. They did, the Picts, they were called the Picts, P-I-C-T-S. Rome didn't want to deal with them. so. When the Irish got a hold of the power of God, they came up the back way behind the wall and they brought the gospel with miracles, with signs, with wonders. And it must have been so powerful because thousands turned from their old ways to the gospel and became Christians, became believers, and set up amazing communities. The Isle of Iona, and from there it spread, and people came in from all over the world. It was a, during the dark ages in Europe, the light was shining in Ireland and Scotland. God always has a plan. In 2 Timothy 4.16, Paul says, the apostle, at my first defense, no one stood with me, but everyone deserted me. May it not be charged against them, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message would be fully proclaimed and all the non-Jewish people, the Gentiles, would hear it. So I was delivered from the mouth of the lion. Now listen to this. Next time you're feeling intimidated or like you have an obstacle in your life. The Lord will rescue me from every evil action 
and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. God has a mission for each one of us. God has a purpose for each and every one of us. And yes, there's obstacles. And yes, we don't always feel like it. But think about what Paul went through. He was at trial, and he spends that entire chapter talking about all the people who had left him. This one left, and this one left, and I left this one. And by the time it took, the time when I was to stand in court, I was all alone. No, I wasn't, he says. I really wasn't, because God was with me. God was there. God defended me. God was my defense because the mission wasn't up to me. It was up to God. And all of us need to have that attitude. God is with us. It doesn't matter who lets you down. It doesn't matter who leaves. Now, the beautiful thing is he's writing to Timothy, his son in the Lord, and he's saying it would be really nice if you came and visited. Because sometimes we get really hardened in that state. Like, everyone left me. Just me and God. Yep, me and God. No, we need each other. God will supply all our needs. We need to know our mission, folks. Know your mission. Know your purpose. We are all given a place in space and time. We're all here alive together in 2020. Right now in this nation, in this town, in this area. Our time is now, and our place is here. That's why we're here. We're here together for a purpose. All of us have a part to play. As I was thinking about this, yes, we all have obstacles. We all have hurdles we've got to get over. But a lot of people have gotten over a lot worse things than we're facing. I thought of Susanna Wesley. For her, her mission and purpose in her day and her hour to be, was to be an excellent mother. She had a slew of kids. I don't know how many. I think she gave birth to 19. Several didn't make it. She lost two sets of twins. I mean, tough. One biographer said, although she never preached a sermon or published a book or founded a church, Susanna Wesley is known as the mother of Methodism. Why? Because two of her sons, John and Charles, as children, consciously or unconsciously applied the example and teachings and circumstances of their home life. Preparing a home is a powerful purpose. Don't, mis don't underestimate where God has you right now. Susanna wrote to her husband, who was gone quite a bit of the time. He had a dispute and left for a year once. All those children. I am a woman, but I am also the mistress of a large family. And though the superior charge of the souls contained in it lies upon you, husband. Yet in your long absence, I cannot but look upon every soul you leave under my charge as a talent committed to me under a trust. I am not a man nor a minister, yet as a mother and a mistress, I felt I ought to do more than I had done. I resolved to begin 
with my own children, in which I observe the following method. I take such a proportion of time as I can spare every night to discourse with each child apart. On Monday, I talk with Molly. On Tuesday, with Hetty. Wednesday, with Nancy. Thursday, with Jackie. Friday, with Patty. Saturday, with Charles. Wonder what happened when she ran out of days of the week. <laughs> she was purposed to minister where she was at and with what she had. During John Wesley's ministry, he traveled over 4,000 miles a year. This is before they had roads in some places. Preaching, four, preaching 40,000 sermons in his lifetime. That's a lot of preaching. An indication of his organizational genius, we know exactly how many followers Wesley had when he died. He had raised up 294 preachers. 71,668 members in Britain. He had sent out 19 missionaries, and there were 43,265 American members with 198 American preachers. Today, Methodists number about 30 million worldwide. That happened because a woman was faithful to train up her children. Yeah, we're all part of something, right? So let's be part of something good. Revival. Let's go back to my Celtic nations I'm so enamored with. There are some islands to the northwest of Scotland called the Hebrides. And believe me, if you go there, you were going, you were headed there. It's not on the way to anywhere. They are far off the Scottish coast. And revival was brought to these islands by two unlikely sisters who became, began a prayer movement. Beginning in November of 1949, two sisters, Peggy and Christine Smith, aged 84 and 82. Okay, so the two old card can't play it. Okay. Now, they're not just old, all right? Peggy was completely blind. And Christine was bent over with arthritis. So one can't see, one can't move. <laughs> Great pair they were. They were burdened due to the depressed spiritual state in their village. They sensed the Lord speaking to them. And he gave them this scripture from Isaiah 44, 3. I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. This is in the late 40s. It was a dry spiritual time in this part. The young people didn't want to go to church because it was so ridiculously boring. The ones that did go went out a sense of duty and not a sense of passion. And the town was going to the dogs. They said, we're not going to settle for this. What are we going to do? We're going to do the only thing we can do. We can't go out and preach. We can't go out and teach. We can pray. This led them to prayer in their small cottage two or three nights a week from 10 p.m. till 3 in the morning. That's five hours. It's a long time to pray, right? I'm looking at my watch after five minutes most of the time. After several weeks of praying like this, Peggy had a vision of her church. 
being crowded with young people and an unknown minister preaching from the pulpit. After several weeks of calling people to prayer, one evening, the minister and the church leaders present were praying in a barn. This was in the winter. It was not heated. It is cold up there. They didn't let their own comfort prevent them from meeting. That would be like meeting in August in Texas with no air conditioning. You'd have to be pretty passionate, pretty committed. A young deacon stood up and read Psalm 24, 3 through 5. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He that has clean hands and a pure heart. He then prayed, God, are my hands clean? Is my heart pure? And then immediately about three in the morning, the presence of God gripped every person present. It wasn't only them that sensed this. For the entire village and larger surrounding area sensed the same awareness of God. The following day, everyone was absorbed by the reality of eternal things. The group of intercessors left the barn at that early hour and found men and women kneeling along the roads, crying out to God for mercy. Every home had lights on, and no one could sleep with the awareness of God being so overwhelming. Peggy Smith then sent for her minister and told him that he was supposed to invite someone to come and preach a revival. But she didn't know who he was. She only saw an unfamiliar face in the vision. 300 people were gathered at the church when evangelist Duncan Campbell arrived. After preaching a sermon, nothing significant happened. They closed down the service. There was an awareness of God's presence more powerful than what Campbell had experienced in any other revival, but nothing extraordinary beyond that. The service was closed quite early at 10.45 p.m. With everyone having departed from the church, Duncan Campbell and a young deacon were the only ones left and that young man, knowing that God was going to do something special, more, something much more that night, said to Campbell, nothing is broken out tonight, but God is hovering over us. He is hovering over us, and he will break through any moment. The young man lifted up his hands and started to pray. God, you made a promise to pour water on the thirsty and floods upon the dry ground, and you're not doing it. He then intensely began interceding in prayer for a considerable period of time and then collapsed to the floor. Around 11 p.m., the back door of the church opened and a man entered saying, Mr. Campbell, something wonderful has happened. We were praying that God would pour water on thirsty ground and floods upon the dry, and he's done it. He's done it. Will you come to the door and see the crowd that is here? It was then that Campbell witnessed many hundreds of people entering the church. No one had invited them. They had been drawn sovereignly by God at that late hour of the evening. By 12 midnight, the church was crowded. On the same evening, there were 100 young people at a dance in the county hall. During their dance, God suddenly fell upon them 
It was right at the time the young man was crying out to God in the church. The music and the dance stopped. The young people being overcome by conviction of sin fled the hall as if they were fleeing from a plague. And they made their way to church. In addition to these hundred young people, there were hundreds more who had already been in bed, but simultaneously, without any explanation, got out of bed, dressed themselves, and went running to the church. This is before Twitter. <laughs> a hunger and a thirst for God overwhelmed the people in the area. In the church, the gathered crowd began singing psalms. The church that would seat over 800 was packed. People in the aisles and in the pews were on their knees, crying out to God for mercy. The meeting continued until 4 a.m. There were no altar calls, nor appeals to accept Christ. It was just a sovereign work of God. Someone approached Duncan Campbell and asked him to go to the police station as there were at least 300 people that had gathered there. During the one-mile walk, he saw people all along the road kneeling and crying out to God, pleading for mercy. Upon arrival at the police station, Duncan Campbell didn't preach a sermon, but the crowd that had mysteriously gathered were crying out to God for mercy. Many of those assembled had come in buses from locations up to 12 miles away. When asked why they had come there, they didn't have an answer. They just said they had a hunger in their hearts to go to the village. Why did they assemble at the police station? Very interesting. Some speculate that the sergeant was a very godly man. Others said the cottage of Peggy and Christine Smith was right next door. The level of ministry continued in the county for five weeks before it spread to adjacent counties. Duncan Campbell would preach up to eight sermons a day, as well as in open fields and along the shoreline. Some services were scheduled as early as three in the morning. It went on for months. It is estimated that over 20,000 people came to the Lord during that revival. And the evangelist said most of them came to Jesus before they got to church. Many became ministers, and the news spread around the world. That was in 1949, 1950, 1951. When we talk about revivals, that's kind of a long time ago, but it's not that long ago. And if God did it there, if he did it then, God can do anything now, right? Amen. He can do it. So we need to seek him every day. We need to ask for his will. This is the key. There were three questions on Wednesday night. One of them was about how can I bring revival to myself? Because doesn't it start right here? Doesn't it start with my heart? It started with two old ladies that were upset. And they didn't know what to do. And all they could do was pray. Are you upset about the world right now? Are you upset about our nation right now? Are you upset about our youth right now? 
pray. That's where it started. Ask God. God can orchestrate the whole thing. Boy, we'd save a lot of time, money, and effort and promotion cost if we just let the Holy Spirit take care of it. Yeah. Seek God. Ask for his will for you. We need to be at the right place at the right time, just like that evangelist was. He just showed up, and God took care of it. We need to have this simple prayer on our lips. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And we need to know that we're not here by accident, guys. This is not some random thing. If you love God and you've given your life to him at whatever age, doesn't matter. If you love God, then it says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, if you trust the Lord with all your heart, don't lean to your own understanding, acknowledge him in all your ways. What? He will direct your paths. Suddenly there's divine appointments. Suddenly you look back and say, that wasn't an accident. That wasn't an accident. That wasn't an accident. God was in control. But we've got to give him the control, guys. Because he gave us a mind. He gave us a will. We've got to walk in his paths. Not just to invite him along with what we're doing. And, and folks, I don't want to lay some big spiritual heavy on you. Actually, I do. I want to lay it on myself. It's okay. I just want to say, God is supernaturally natural and naturally supernatural. And even if we get it wrong, even if we go the wrong way, God's big enough to turn us around if our heart is right. He will also make our heart right. Just think about Jonah. Just think about him. Arise and go to Nineveh. I think I'll buy a ticket to the other side of the world. God sent a storm, he sent a fish, and then he sent a revival. Because God brought him to the right place at the right time, and everyone cried out to God, and it was miraculous. 1 Corinthians 3.6 I planted the seed, Apollos watered, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. He who plants and he who waters are one in purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field, you are God's building. So we must all have the same attitude that Paul had when he said, even if no one stands with me, the Lord will, because I have a mission to fulfill. Amen. I think right now in our history, there's not a whole lot of time to waste. A lot of crazy stuff going on. We each have a purpose. Let's accept whatever call he gives us. Might be praying for our kids. Might be praying for a village might be getting on a boat and going somewhere. But God has a plan, and he's going to work it all together because he's God. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's stand up.
worship team, let's close out and spend a few minutes with God. Just commit yourself to him in all your ways. Acknowledge him. Thank you, Lord, that you're directing our paths even now. Lord, we pray right now that we would be part of the healing as your people. God, in the past, the church has been part of the hurt. We don't want to be that. We want to redefine what your kingdom people look like. Lord, I thank you for all the surrendered souls in this place. I thank you, God, that you're here right now. I thank you, Lord, that we have testimonies of your faithfulness, God. But Lord, we just commit our steps now to take that next step to be where you want us to be, to hear your voice, to just be at the right place at the right time. And Lord, that's where you are. Take us to where you are, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.